HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Amy Chaplin. Am I saying that correctly? You are, You yes. crazy Aussies. I never know how you pronounce anything. <laughs> Say fish and chips for me. Fish and chips. How do you tell that differently from a New Zealander? I've heard that that was, you know, the phrase to make a New Zealander oh, say to yeah, make that's sure. that's true. There are certain words yeah. you can tell, although I'm often mistaken. <laughs> for a New Zealander, it's Oceana. I know that from that game, Risk. You are all the purple yeah. people. <laughs> this book that you have in the Whole Food Kitchen, which is funny, apropos enough, this, you know, episode is sponsored by Whole Foods, is not to be mistaken with... Whole Foods, necessarily. That's right. But what it does provide us is is an amazing idea of how to set up your life, your pantry, your kitchen uh, for, you know, the best life possible. You know, healing benefits, detoxifying, but just the the spirit, this this aura, this, this goodness about you. I got this book in the mail and I just started flipping through it, looking at it, and this mantra came up and it was kind of undefined at first, you know, cook right, eat right, which you see in a lot of cookbooks, but something so distinctly different happened with this. And I think it goes to your childhood, reading that intro about how you lived on the land, 30 miles away from anything. Tell me about what that was like. Oh, yeah, it's true. It does go back, back, back then. Um, well, that was just what all that I knew. I mean, I didn't really know any differently. It wasn't like we moved from the city to live off the land and build our own house or anything. I grew up like that. So it was, I, I sort of feel like being a chef now and all throughout my career, I've always been sort of searching for the true flavor of a perfect, you know, freshly picked cherry tomato or, 
you know, homegrown Brussels sprouts and things like that. Like I feel like it really ingrained in me how things should taste and, and also wanting to honour that just amazingness of nature and how perfect it is and how we don't really need to do too much. Yeah. So, I mean, this purity, which may go back to your childhood again, about this purity of life. I mean, what you did at your family's house seemed like everything. You baked bread, you milled your own grains, you had a garden. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it seems it's a true. little we bit... actually I even had kept bees. There's plenty of yeah. things that didn't fit in that <laughs> intro. Made ginger beer, and yeah. my mother made tofu, used the water from making the tofu to wash the floors. I mean, you know, she was very... It was a very sort of eco-friendly lifestyle. But at the same time, it was... It, I mean, I, I don't like the word sustainable because I don't think a lot of people know what it means and mm. it isn't used correctly, but it's it's... You close the cycle. I mean, you do everything there and you use everything to the best of its ability. And that, that shows true in this book, too. And in your career, I was a big fan of Angelica's Kitchen. Um, finding out that you worked there only made sense after reading this book. And again, having this mantra. How did you take what you learned as a kid, th- those little techniques, those steps into the professional kitchen? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I feel like... I feel like every time I cook, I guess I'm really wanting to cook something delicious, something that I feel like, something that is, you know, good for me. It's not all about just being really healthy and feeling good about healthy, but it's like what food makes me feel good. So knowing what did growing up, I guess, and, you know, throughout my teens and early 20s, when I got into a kitchen, I just wanted to make delicious things and and I just gravitated towards what naturally made me made me feel the best and made me want to keep cooking. So does that answer your question? Oh, yeah, no, I, I, because I'm trying to envision right now what your mother's parties look like. Because oh, right. I think there's that same sense of spirit, too, that happens in this book and with your cooking. But w- what happened during your mom's parties? What was served? What did the table look like? Oh, a lot happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, the thing was that I feel it, that really sort of um, separated my mother's parties from sort of any party was that she really was lavish about things like she would really make you know buy homemade pasta she wouldn't always make it herself but she'd make you know huge amounts of pesto she'd marinate cheese she'd you know get the best olive oil bulk and we'd use it and it was very sort of lavish and generous and also don't forget she you know she loved good champagne and we'd make cocktails and so we were in charge my sister and I of making daiquiris which was (laughs) a bad idea very young (laughs) so it's sort of we're both in the food business so it's pretty funny but we're we're natural hostesses but um yeah it was in sort of so it was in the middle of nowhere really with this sort of small community of people and everyone would dress up like it was kind of crazy we'd have these parties for Christmas and often have them at our house because we had this big open plan house so everyone would arrive and it would always be like fully dressed you know in the middle of the bush so it's sort of a funny scene but where everything was focused around food I mean everyone in that whole area grew their own vegetables you know made their own cheeses milked a cow you know and cooked themselves so we'd all get together and everyone would sort of bring their specialty dish and I feel like being surrounded by you know, all those foodies. I mean, everybody was just really passionate about it. And it was just sort of the way of life. It wasn't really like a newfound thing. I mean, you had no choices. You either did it or you ate, you know, I don't know what packaged food, I guess. And there wasn't really much even of that around, you know, there's no convenience store so or restaurants. So we really did 
do everything ourselves. So it definitely had a big impact on, on the way I cook now. I feel like a lot of traveling to eat, uh, it was different growing up because your mother carried around a billy can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tell me what that is and how odd a situation that must be. Well, she always liked to be prepared. So, you know, we'd have a, she still does now, a thermos in the car. So it's always got tea or coffee or she had to bring her milk frother with her and, you know, make a cappuccino. You know, she could always light a fire wherever we went. But we, we used to just love to, you know, go on trips and trips in Australia are really long. So you really need to, you know, and there's nowhere to stop in between. Often there's nothing in between. So you really pack your own everything. So and I still do that today. It drives everyone <laughs> crazy, but I'm always like packing food and bringing a thermos wherever I go. So yeah, not the billy can though, because I don't think lighting fires is that easy. Yeah, here, but <laughs> that's just a little portable stove, right? It's like a little can, tin can with a lid, and you actually have to build a fire and you boil. So it's like a kettle. You know, you make like good, strong black tea in it. I mean, I really hope you don't do a Billy Can restaurant next for your own sake. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> but it's all about setting yourself up because going on long trips, running a restaurant, it's about planning. Mm. And I think the most important part of this book in the Whole Food Kitchen is is the pantry and how you set yourself up for, you know, fun and variety. Because the, the big intimidation of books like this is what you have to have already. And, of course, you lived a life with a lot of bulk goods. So you had a lot at your disposal, but you really don't need much to make delicious food. No, you definitely don't. I mean, I've got a big pantry stocking section there, but I never, except for doing this book, have everything on hand. And right now I've got so many ingredients from having and trying all different unusual grains and beans and things. But it really does help to have a bit of variety and just be and have them all there, like I talk about in jars so you can see them. So you can just pull out something and be like, oh my God, I haven't had this for a while. Let me soak it and then I'll make something tomorrow. I mean, I don't really think about what I'm going to make because I don't know what I'm going to feel like tomorrow, but I sort of usually have a good idea depending on the weather. But I feel like that really just gives you a head start. You don't really have to think too much. You've got some good oil. You've got some good vinegars, you know, um, some grains and beans. I mean, then you just need to pick up some vegetables. So let's talk about when you used to work in kitchens, Angelica's Kitchen, specifically, you know, a very lauded vegetarian vegan restaurant here in New York. And obviously you have a different kind of pantry there than you did at home. But what did you cook for yourself when you went home or were at home while working that oh, job? Really simple, simple things like steamed vegetables. <laughs> That's usually what I'd come. Although I did still like to cook at home. It's so different. You know, I really missed it. I sort of missed being home for breakfast because I used to start at you know 6 a.m. there. So whenever I had the chance, I would actually cook at home. I know that sounds weird, no, but I, like I did that too. still. It sends me out a little yeah, bit, yeah, I just still like. And there's nothing beats home cooked food, and I think that's where my life has sort of gone now just you know, is just like cre what you can create at home. It's kind of amazing the way we can share it with others as well. But yeah, the restaurant is, was great fun and really wonderful for that really to push you creatively and come up with new ideas and new ways to use things. I, I really love that because I think at home we can fall into a sort of more of a routine and get stuck sometimes. So yeah, that was a great experience. I mean, there were also wonderful vendors at the restaurant that sold tofu for, what, 35 yeah. years, uh, sea vegetables, all these amazing things. And 
buying those in small amounts and incorporating them into your pantry make wonderful dishes. And now I want to kind of jump into that pantry because it, it is a long section of this book, too. It's funny. You know, I think it's half pantry, half recipes. Yeah. If I, not, maybe more pantry than recipes. In yeah, this book. that was uh, it took a lot of time creating that and it grew and grew and grew like it was it started out very simple. Yeah. And then we realized this is really going to help set people up and set the book apart because, like you said, you don't have to have, you know, you come across a recipe and you find, like, umeboshi vinegar. You've already read all about it in a pantry or you can look it up mm-hmm. and then know all the different recipes you can use it in. So I feel like it's sort of it's maybe more enticing to get those more unusual ingredients so that you don't, you don't feel like you only use them once. Yeah. Well, I know you cater for – or private chef for a lot of people. You've worked with Lib Tyler, Natalie Portman. What do you want – them to have in their pantry for you to use well all of those i mean all of the things ideally you have a kitchen stocked with all of the things that are listed in the book which is a lot of items um but there's some basics that i feel like i can't live without you know like really good short grain brown rice and sweet rice to combine together and chickpeas and oats and raw almonds i mean those are the sort of things i turn to daily and also to cook for my clients too I mean, let's talk about whole grains, because this book is about whole food living. What does what that actually mean to you? That means, to me, um, you know, true whole foods are, are really foods that are as nature intended. And things, a lot of grains and beans have changed over time, as have vegetables. But now, you know, we're becoming more aware of all these beautiful heritage foods and heirloom grains and beans so i feel like it's as close to possible as close as possible to the way nature grows things and i think that it can be confused sometimes because some grains aren't whole but people think they're eating a whole food diet so i really tried to stay true to true whole food ingredients and um yeah and do as much as possible with them well i think it was really interesting to see you talk about water as well i mean talk about a base ingredient how important filtered water is in your cooking. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, it's amazing the difference it makes with flavor, but also for health reasons. And there's nothing wrong with our water here. We have good water. It just needs to be filtered. So I don't I do not promote bottled water at all, but I just really feel that getting a good filter just changes your life in the kitchen because I feel like you can really feel good about drinking it, taking it with you, tea, and cooking all your grains and everything that absorbs liquid. So The avoidance of plastics, BPAs. I mean, the, these are things that are ingrained in a lot of people, but when you're setting up a kitchen, setting up a pantry, I think a lot of people just you know put them in Tupperware, put them up, but glass is, is, is important to you as well. My, yeah, <laughs> my whole family's obsessed with jars. <laughs> so we all collect and can't get rid of jars. It drives all our partners crazy. Um, and... <laughs> I was just complaining to my mother that I can't even close the drawer that I've got my jars in. She's like, you know, they're going to stop making glass one day. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God, yeah, maybe. Um, but you can never have too many. And I just feel like it's so nice to carry things around in glass, to eat out of glass, you know, and to store things in glass. Not only is it safer, it's just it feels right. And it's that much easier to clean. And it's so easy to clean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break and talk about what is actually in those glass jars, how to fill up a pantry, and all the delicious things you can make there with. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? 
Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hey, and welcome back to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here with Amy Chaplin, cooking in the Whole Food Kitchen. And we kind of talked about what that means, but how do you set yourself up for that is, is more important. What grains do you need? What, what sweeteners do you need? And, you know, you talked about a few of them, but let's kind of expand on that. Breakfast. What are some of your favorite things to eat for breakfast? Oh, I'm kind of... I, I, breakfast is one thing that I can sort of happily eat the same thing every day. Um, and there's two recipes in the pantry section um, that I sort of eat six months and six months of the year. So one is like a hot oatmeal with all these superfoods in it and almond milk and the other one is a cold version with chia seeds and things so i for breakfast stocking things that i would use in you know those dishes is what i always have on hand so like oats and chia and hemp seeds and raw almonds and things yeah along those lines yeah i mean the black rice rice uh pudding oh yeah that that looks amazing to me and you know black rice i don't often see towards the beginning of the day but for certain ethnic cuisines. Why that choice? That was something that I ate as a kid in Bali with my family, and we we all loved it. I remember just having it every day there. And then I went back again recently, and I just remembered how much I loved it. So I thought I need to make a version that is sort of, that's very sweet there and with a lot of coconut milk. So this is like a little lighter version. It does have some coconut in it, but it's sort of got a naturally sweet taste from the black rice. And it's it's so it's so hearty and filling. It's kind of good when it's cold. Spelt, teff, buckwheat, corn grits. There are so many grains that you can kind of riff on. After grains comes beans and legumes. You know, it, it, it's easier to have a whole bunch of dried beans than it is buy, you know, canned beans and dump them out. I think volume-wise, but the flavor that you get from that pot liquor, mm. I, can't, I can't even tell people how important that is to cooking. Yeah, yeah. You cannot, I mean, you can't buy a canned bean after you've been cooking them yourself. And, and it's sort of a drag sometimes because it could be easier, but you really can't beat the flavor of freshly cooked beans. And that's something that I, I get into a lot in the book because you can kind of disguise it. Sometimes if you rinse them well, this is a canned bean, you know, and then you boil it or drain it, but it does take some work, I think, to take away that tinny kind of flavor. So um, I really encourage everyone to get a pressure cooker because that really changes your life. You can have creamy, delicious, flavorful beans in half an hour or under. So I, I think they're a great investment, and you can use them as a pot for cooking anything yeah. as well. So it's not just for it's not just like a one use gadget. The heirloom beef bourguignon kind of blew my mind. Tell me about that dish. Oh, that's delicious! Yeah, it's a really good wintry one. Um, I guess when I see like beautiful beans, I think how can you really show these off? Like not just have them as a as an ingredient or as a protein or, you know, hiding in a soup. So I really wanted to kind of highlight their beauty when I found this jar of 
Christmas lima beans in Italy one day and I was like oh my god these are so beautiful and so I bought them and then created that dish with wine and herbs and you know made it rich and you don't miss the meat at all I mean it's so hearty <laughs> so wonderful I mean that, that's another preconception that I think a lot of people have that you can't have depth of flavor as a vegetarian as a vegan but this book will certainly dispel that yeah yeah no thank you I'm glad you think so I, I think that it takes a little more work to get the depth because you don't just have to sort of simmer. I mean, I feel like meat is very easy in terms of like, you know, dinner on the table quickly or, you know, um, and I think it does, you, you get a real richness quite easily from like roasting a chicken or something. So, but for, for making those kind of really memorable stews, I feel like making the effort to do a roasted vegetable stock or things like that, I feel like that really adds a lot of flavor but you know it takes a bit more time i want to talk about nuts because they're again so versatile you teach people how to make their own nut milks you talk about sprouting there's uh condiments like ducca there's a uh, how do you say g-o-m-a the the oh gomazio yeah gomazio and these simple little things that are comprised of things that we know too you know, really elevate a dish to another level. Yes, that's right. And I think that is the key is sort of having some really good condiments. That's what I have a section in the pantry about that, about making your own and having them on hand, but also things you can buy. But yeah, just simple toasted sesame seeds when they're toasted fresh and ground with sea salt. It's just amazing on rice. It's so simple and so tasty. Superfoods. What are they and why do we need them? Well, superfoods are just really potent um, ingredients that can be added. I, I feel like they're an easy addition to your diet. You know, you can add goji berries or hemp seeds or um, these golden berries that I talk about in the book too, to, to really anything. It's like they can be a great snack. They can be added to breakfast. But I feel like so many of the foods that are listed in that pantry are really could be called superfoods because they're all so nutritious. But I think that that's just how we're used to categorizing those kind of things that are a little more unusual. Bee pollen, flaxseed. Yeah, bee pollen as well is amazing, yeah. You know, obviously these add flavor too as well as texture, but the way that you build a dish is, is, is really striking because you care about the visual aspect of it too. You know, it's it's almost painterly how, how kind of amazing. And you read some of the descriptions like spring miso soup with lemon and it's just evoking spring, a little tartness from that lemon and obviously that umami of the miso how do you think about the complexity of a dish but still make it simple? Oh, yeah. I think about, I guess when I'm thinking, well, I always cook really seasonally. So it's usually a, like like the lemon, like you're kind of craving that freshness when, when spring arrives and you don't always have an abundance of local vegetables then. So I guess I just think about really what I feel like. <laughs> and then that just it just grows from there i just think oh this sounds good and feels good and then you know i see what looks the best at the market or my health food store or something and then i'll add that as well i sort of feel like they come in roundabout ways sometimes but other times it's just like oh yeah that's perfect together yeah i love that combination and i feel like i want i want the food to not be so far out there like i don't want to add goji berries to everything or you know i am very careful about where i put things i I feel like it does need to make sense it's not just about i feel like sometimes vegetarian or vegan cooking is about throwing it all in and just like yeah it's all good you know and i feel like it isn't it doesn't all go you know everything everything, has intention and you know what i love is that you actually use collard greens in a way that i've never seen them used before and that's what I'm craving right now, even though it's not in season, is uh, the the summer rolls with macadamia lime. 
sauce. Mm, that's a yummy one. Yeah, you can make that now. Yeah. Just change the vegetables inside. Will do. Yeah. <laughs> a curried soca uh, with cilantro, coconut chutney. I love soca so much. And I love chickpea flour. It's an important part, obviously, of your pantry, but it's also gluten-free. I mean, there are so many healing and health benefits to the way you cook as well. You kind of cater menus towards certain people's diets or outlooks on life. Do I? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do constantly. Um, like, cause I'm, I'm so used to cooking for people that have dietary restrictions or, you know, allergies or just want to be super healthy. So there's always, I and mean, I actually enjoy that. I enjoy the creativity that comes from someone that can't eat a lot of different things or just, you know, cause vegan is still pretty broad to me, although people think it's limiting. I yeah. actually feel like, Oh, that's like, Oh my God, there's so much to make. But, um, yeah, I'm used to doing that, and I really enjoy I really enjoy the challenge. Yeah, I mean, even little twists like turmeric lemonade. I mean, it is standard lemonade with a little bit of turmeric that adds that, you know, little build towards it. But what is like a base vegan recipe that you see a lot of people make and that you can do a simple iteration and make it that much better? Oh, what is... Oh, my God. That's a hard question. I feel like it depends, I guess... Or with food blogs, there is actually a lot of dishes with turmeric now. I feel like a lot of people are discovering how how good it can taste, especially if you can get it fresh. It's kind of amazing when you get it fresh. But I can't think of one recipe that I feel... Um... Let's talk about the lasagna then. <laughs> because even Sorry. though it may not be vegan, I mean, you use cashew cheese. You use you know different ways of not having to make a noodle with an egg. Uh, not make a pasta dish with an egg, which, you know, I know egg replacing is a big thing in veganism. But making such a lush lasagna, how how did you construct all those layers? Well, I feel like I don't want it to be like, oh, this is like a classic lasagna, but vegan version. I never really want my food to come across that way. I really always want it just to be really delicious for what it is. And so occasionally I'm doing that for clients that are craving something and then they, you know, work out a way to replace it. But mostly I'm creating new dishes that are just delicious in their own right. That's my, that's my goal. Um, so with that, I was actually thinking of a ravioli, how you have like a beautiful ricotta and butternut squash ravioli. And I thought, oh, that would be really nice in, you know, a layered pasta because making ravioli is a bit of a pain, especially <laughs> vegan. I don't even know if you can do it that well. Um, but yeah, so that's how that came about. And then sage and adding caramelized onions, and that just sort of adds richness. A little tofu ricotta for yeah. a little more texture to yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you do need it. And I guess that is a cheese replacement, and you could make it with regular ricotta, but it's sort of, um, it all just goes together and doesn't taste too rich. I mean, I also want to talk about the simple things. Not that those are complex, but everyone's all about kale salad these days. And you make this wonderful kale slaw with this mustard dressing. You make a wonderful dessert. What is it? A strawberry rose canton, which I had never heard of before. Um, but things are so elemental, so straightforward, so easy, and yet look so refreshing. Thank I mean, you. obviously, it takes many years to get to that point. But with this book, it will take much less. Right. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully, people will just feel like they can jump right in and make it immediately. What are some of your takeaways from this book? I mean, I know you've been living this your whole life, but what do you want people to kind of voyage into first? Is it cooking a recipe? Is it stocking a pantry? Or is it just experience this kind of food? Well, I think depending on where you are with your food journey and how you cook at home, I think you can jump in if, if you're ready for it. But I also, 
I really hope people can take away just the feeling of the empowerment, I guess, of cooking for yourself, cooking healthily, feeling like you can throw together a meal quickly with when you have these basic ingredients on hand because that's really what that part is about. It's like eating healthy every day and it's not about having to plan too far in advance. I mean, there is that whole ritual of soaking grains and beans, but once you get that down, I feel like you can just get home and make something in half an hour and that's really I really hope people are inspired to cook that's my goal is to get people cooking more for themselves because I feel like the more we cook and the the more we're you know taking care of our own health the more aware we become of where our food comes from and that's really important so and of course celebrate the and yes that's the thing it doesn't have to be you know hard or boring it can be really fun and bring people together and teach your little ones to make daiquiris at a young age <laughs> that's right <laughs> thank you everyone should run out and get at home in the whole food kitchen amy chaplin thank you for this thank you for introducing this to the cookbook world i think it's going to be a real stunner thank you so much for having me i Cheers. really appreciate yeah. it you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org i'm your host michael harlan turkel hoping to have you back here next tuesday at three Cheers. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.